your own Bible, we should have several pew Bibles kind of scattered in the pews in front of you. And uh, turn with me again to the book of Ephesians in the pew Bible, page 948, 948. And uh, if you don't have access to either of those, the text should be on the screen. And so uh, as you're turning to Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verses 22 and following, I want to give just a, a quick uh, Uh, review of where we've been and where we're going today. We've been in the midst of a series called Relation Slips, and we have been examining uh, what God's uh, word has to say about relationships, anywhere from singleness on through marriage, so that our relationships can be healthy and turn uh, not into relation slips, but be healthy relationships. That's where we've been. Uh, We've, uh, this is part, I don't even know, six or seven. Uh, We've seen a lot of different things. Uh, We have seen, uh, just to name a few, we've seen the point. Uh, We started off with the point that is, what is the point of singleness? And we looked at that from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. After that, we saw the pick uh, from Song of Solomon chapter 1, and we talked about how to pick uh, the right kind of mate. Uh, From then on, we saw the purposes of marriage from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Uh, We saw God's plan uh, from Genesis 1, how uh, we are to uh, receive our spouses and leave our parents and uh, cleave uh, to our spouses and become one flesh. Following that, we continued to stay in Genesis, and we saw the pressure. That is the pressure on all of our marriages that cause our marriages to fall short of God's plan and God's purposes. Uh, Last week, we saw the peace, and we were back in the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, and we looked at conflict and conflict in marriage and how we can preserve the peace. Uh, This morning, we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 5 in what will be the second to last sermon in this series, and I've entitled it The Positions. The Positions, and, and, and I've entitled it that because we're going to, first of all, look at the position of the husband, uh, what part does he play in the marriage, and then next week we'll wrap it up with the position of the wife, what is her position, what is her role, and so we will look at the position part one, or the positions part one, and examine the husband's position in this thing called marriage in the team that is marriage, and so hopefully we're all in Ephesians chapter 5. And we're all ready to go, so let's pray, and we'll dive right in. Father, thank you uh, so much for this gathering. We anticipate it um, every week because it's a marvelous time for us to come and worship together with brothers and sisters. It's a, it's a wonderful time for us to hear from you through your word. And I pray, Father, that this series has been helpful uh, for all of us, uh, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we've been married, whether we will be married. I pray that the teachings from your word have been helpful and and meaningful and uh, convicting when they need to be. And we pray that it would continue to be that. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now. Help us to bow, Holy Spirit, before the holy text, the holy and inspired text that you yourself inspired. Um, Help us to bow before it, to submit our lives and our marriages to it. And specifically, as we look at this, really uh, can be a difficult subject of the roles of husband and wife in marriage. Specifically, this morning, Father, I pray that your spirit would speak to us who are men, uh, to to men who will one day be married, uh, to men who are married, and uh, to, to all of us. Us as, as we contemplate this position um, in marriage. Speak to us, challenge us. We want to be the best future husbands. We want to be the best husbands that we can be and follow uh, Jesus Christ, our example. And so help us, we pray. 
Uh, I pray for those uh, women who will be married. Pray for women who are married uh, to these men that uh, they would not just kind of turn their brains off or they wouldn't automatically go into critical or criticism mode. I pray that they would humbly hear um, what the word says about their husband's role and even contemplate how they can help and encourage and uh, uh, be positive in pointing him in that direction and anticipation of next week as they hear what their role will be. And so we ask for your help. We ask for your provision. Holy Spirit, would you help guard my lips that I might speak of that which is true and not false? Would you help me to, to, to speak powerfully and would you help those who are hearing your word? Again, help them to have soft hearts, eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask it in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, amen, amen. So I want to begin this morning talking about sports. One of my favorite subjects is sports, and and you know that, so women, forgive me. But today we are talking to the men specifically, so I figured it would be appropriate for me to play a clip about the game plan and uh, for me to have an opening illustration that uh, relates to sports. Um, And so uh, the way that that team sports work is is this. Each person in any particular team sport, each player on the field, whether it be each person on the court in basketball or each player on the field in football, the way team sports generally work is that each player has a role or a position on the field. And along with that position normally comes some specific responsibilities, some specific duties, if you will, that relate to that position, right? So for example, Uh, This is a basketball state, I think, and so we'll start with basketball. Um, Let's say there is a position uh, called point guard. Now, for those of you who don't know what the position of point guard does, is essentially, normally, they're one of the shorter people on the team. They're usually quick, fast, they have good vision, and and that's their their position, is that of point guard. Now, they also have rules, uh, roles, if you will, that they're supposed to do, duties, if you will, and generally speaking, unless you're Derrick Rose, point guards are not supposed to score, they're supposed to pass. And so the, the quintessential point guard thinks pass first. Uh, along with passing, getting the ball into the, the scorer's hands at the opportune moment, along with passing, one of the main responsibilities of the point guard is to keep the ball safe. That is, to not turn the ball over. And so generally, point guards... Um, they dribble the ball. They take the ball up the court and they keep it safe. It's their baby. They're supposed to protect it. Um, and so that's generally speaking the position of point guard and the role to pass and to protect. That's what the point guard does. Now thinking about uh, an even better sport, and that's football, uh, the real sport, if you will, uh, it works that way as well. Um, I'm from Texas. That's how it works, right? Football, football is king. Now, football is a similar, a similar thing. So uh, in football, there is a position called the center. How many of you know what the center position in football does? Be honest. Okay, men. Good. Very good. The position of center on the football team, he really has two fundamental roles, maybe three. The first one is he hikes the ball to get the play started, and he hikes the ball through his legs to the quarterback to initiate, essentially, the play. So that's his first job, is to not botch the hike, right? Secondly, he's supposed to do two things. If it's a run play, that is the quarterback hands it off and the running back runs forward, the center is supposed to block the men or the men, the men or the man in front of him. And so he blocks either the lineman or the linebacker, right? It's his job to kind of plow the way along with the other lineman for the run. Now, conversely, if it's a pass play, what is his role? Well, he doesn't go forward. He goes backwards because he protects the men who are wanting to kill the opposing, his quarterback. They want to kill him 
and he protects them, and right? And so he does pass protection. All of this to say is that in a team sport, there is a coach, and the coach assigns the players their position and makes sure that the position does their duty, right? And that, when that happens, generally speaking, the team is successful, right? Now, I'm sure Samantha Volleyball has that, I don't know much about volleyball, but I'm sure there are positions and they have duties, right? In any particular sport. Now, imagine, imagine if there was no coach. Imagine if there was a team, let's say a basketball team, and they had no coach, or even worse, they didn't listen to their coach. And so the coach gave assignments to the positions for each player to play, but when the five got out on the court, they just decided to do whatever they wanted to. They decided, I'm going to play whatever position, and I'm going to do whatever duty I want to do. And so let's say you have a 5'10 point guard, like myself. I I am roughly 5'10, and I play point guard. Let's just say that when I got on the court, I said, coach told me to dribble and to pass and not to shoot unless I was wide open under the basket. Even still, I should probably pass, right? Um, he, He told me to do those things. I'm just tired of that. I don't want to do it. And so let's just say uh, I said, I want to be a post. And we know what posts are in basketball, right? They're the big guys or gals, and they, they're under the basket, and generally they score from really close, and their job is to rebound. Well, let's just pretend that I wanted to ignore my position and my duties and play post. How would that work out, church? Not very well, because I'm short, and white man can't jump, okay? I can't jump, I can't rebound, right? I'm not big, so I can't post up anybody. I would not rebound, and I would not score below, because truth be told, my fadeaway jumper, it's just not that good, and it would get blocked, okay? Um, and so, in any particular team, if, if the center in football says, says, I'm really bored, I don't get any glory, all I do is hike the ball, I want to pass the ball. So let's just say he says, quarterback, you hike it to me, and he gets his big body, and he gets the ball, and he wants to pass. How's that going to work, football fans? Not very well. Well, you know, the same is true using the analogy in sports, in marriage. Uh, The analogy holds true. There is a coach in this team sport of marriage, and I think we all know who the coach is. The coach is God himself. The coach is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. The coach is God, and he has a playbook, and his playbook is the Bible, God's Word. And he uses the playbook to give positions to the players in the team sport of marriage. Because while marriage only has two players, it takes two to make a team sport. And marriage is a team sport. And what is true in marriage is also true in sports. And what is true in sports is also true in marriage. And that is that the coach has divinely seen fit to give each player in this team of marriage, the husband and the wife, a position. He gives the husband a position. He gives the wife a position. And not only does he give them positions, but he fleshes out what these positions are supposed to be about. He gives the husband and he gives the wife duties, if you will. And so this morning, what we're going to take a look at is the position of the husband. And what we're going to see in short is that the position that the husband plays in the team of marriage, I believe the Bible calls that of head. H-E-A-D. He is the head, and we'll see that in Ephesians 5. And so that's his position. It's not a point guard. He plays the position of head in the marriage. So first of all, we're going to define that. What does it mean for the husband to be the head of the marriage? And then secondly, we're going to define his duties. That is, what is he supposed to do? What does it look like practically for the husband to play this role, this position 
of head. So that's where we're going. If you want to know, we're going to define it, and we're going to look at it, and we're going to see this from Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. So let's, let's begin. We're just going to read the text in its entirety, and then we're going to go back and, and, and see a few things about what headship means and the duties of the husband. Ephesians chapter 5, let's start in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head, there's our word, of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, and he gave, up, uh, he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word, and to present, to, uh, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And that is God's holy word. So I want to begin by defining this position of headship. But before we do that, I want to share a quick story. There's a, a joke that I, I heard that is worth repeating. There's a story of a man who died, and the man went to heaven and this is fictitious, by the way. <laughs> this is not how heaven works. There's a man who died, and he went to heaven, and as he was in heaven, he, he, he noticed that there were two very large uh, signs in heaven, and there were two lines proceeding from each of those signs, and one of the signs uh, read this, all those men who have ever been dominated by their wives stand here, and the man looked at that line, and it seemed to stretch through the clouds into eternity. And there was a second sign, and the second sign read this, all those who have never been dominated by their wives stand here, and underneath that sign there stood but one man. And so the man was intrigued. He wanted to know why this was so. And so he went over to the man, he kind of grabbed him by the shoulder, and he said, what, what's the secret? I mean, how did you do it? The other line has, I mean, literally millions of men in and yet you're the only one standing under this line. And so the man uh, was a bit puzzled, and he looked around with a confused expression, and he said, why, why I'm, just not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I got here. My wife just told me to stand right here. <laughs> Men, hopefully you won't be in that line in heaven. What I want to do is begin by defining headship. What, 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 is, what does this term mean? What does it mean for the for the husband to be the head. Well, again, let's take a, a closer look at Ephesians 5, tw verse 22, 23, and 24. First of all, Paul begins, and he addresses the wives. We're going to talk about this and other things next week, but he addresses the wives, and he addresses uh, their role, or, or their response, that is, to the husband. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands uh, as you do to the Lord. So he gives them that instruction. And then in, in verse 23, notice, he gives them the reason. 
That is, why are wives supposed to do this? What's the basis for their acting in submissiveness? Well, he tells us, for, in verse 23, for the husband is the head. And there's our term. For the husband is the head of the wife. And so he says, this is why wives respond in such a way. And it's because God has ordained and seen fit that the husband is the head. And then he continues and he gives an analogy. This is what his headship is like. He is head of the wife as. So it's it's an, an analogy. As Christ is head of the church, which is his body, of which he is also the Savior. And so he We need to see a couple things. He says, this is the position of the husband. It's like that of a head. And then he says, it's like Christ is head over the church. And so husbands are head over the wives as Christ is head over the church. That's a significant analogy, and it runs all the way through this passage. Now in verse 24, now as the church, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. The point that I want us to see is as we seek to define the husband as the head is this. Most clearly it means that he is the authority or you can say maybe even the leader in that marriage relationship. Uh, A lot has been said about the possibility that Uh, It means that he is the source. Oftentimes, head can mean source or authority. Um, Here, it's very clear uh, because of the relationship to the church and Christ. Uh, Christ is the authority over the church, and the church follows and submits to Christ. And so it's very clearly here that headship has the connotation of authority. I like to say leadership. That's the word I'm going to throw around here. I think When we're defining headship, it merely speaks of the authority in the relationship and the leadership of the of the relationship. Dr. Ray Ortland, I think he defines headship really very very well and biblically. He says this in the partnership. Hear this. This is important. In the partnership of two spiritually equal human beings, man and woman, the man bears primary responsibility to lead. He bears primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying direction. I think that's a, a very good picture of biblical headship. He is the authority and he's to lead. He has primary responsibility is to lead that marriage in a way that glorifies Christ. And so what we've seen, first of all, is that God has given this position of head to the man, to the man. Um, I wish I had more time. Uh, When you look through the book of Genesis, I think you find all sorts of clues that that this is something that God has ordained from the beginning. It's it's not related to the curse. It's not uh, God's curse to to the marriage. That this is something that that I think God has given for the man to do. I I would love to spend about 10 more minutes looking at Genesis 1, 2, and 3 to give you all sorts of observations as to why that's true. You guys don't want me to do that, so I'm not going to. That's another sermon for another day. But clearly what we see is that the man is called the head. That's his position. And so when you think about head, think about leadership, okay? So we've defined it, I think, in Ephesians 5.23. But the inevitable question, and really the most, maybe not the most significant question, but equally significant is the question of this. We see that the position is that 